Well, uh, we are continuing our study, uh, our, our theme here of the ancient faith, and we've been looking at a number of different spiritual practices that Christians have kept for years that enhance the body of Christ and have kept the, the church alive through the centuries and have also helped Christians to grow in their faith and in their knowledge of Jesus. And so a couple of weeks ago, we talked about meditation and prayer and solitude in one message. And then last week, we talked about fasting. None of you are looking too gaunt. I guess uh, you haven't been fasting all week. That's probably a good thing, right? We're talking about uh, how we don't want to just kind of tackle all of this at once. It's not designed to make you feel guilty or something like that. The idea is let's try one or two of these practices and see where they lead with us. Uh, This week, we want to talk about study. And uh, you might think, well, study, that doesn't sound much like a spiritual practice. That sounds like something I did in school, and I wasn't very keen about it then, and I'm not very keen about it now. But study has always been a spiritual practice, a spiritual discipline of those who follow Jesus. We, we see this in a number of places in the Bible. We see it in church history. And we're going to talk about it today and understand, uh, I hope by the end of this message, you understand that study and continuing to grow in our faith is an important aspect of our spiritual disciplines. It truly is something that we can learn from. Um, One of the best examples you'll find in Scripture is that passage in Acts chapter 17, verse 11. Uh, Paul and Silas had gone to a place called Berea. And there we read in Acts 17, 11, the people of Berea were more open-minded than those in Thessalonica. And they listened eagerly to Paul's message. They searched the scriptures day after day to see if Paul and Silas were teaching the truth. We have kind of a good example of how to study together here in that one passage, that one verse. They were open-minded. Now, open-minded is not something that we often connect with Christian behavior, right? We tend to think, well, we should just be very careful and, and that, but God's word tells us we can be open-minded like the Berean people. They, they listened and they checked the facts and then they went back to scripture and they studied to see if these things that were being said were true. And so it's kind of an example here for us of how we might study together. And open-mindedness was part of that process. We see in the early church in the book of Acts as well that when there were questions about the faith and how Christianity related to Judaism, that they got together in Jerusalem and they had a council and they decided some things about the faith. And that was studying together and figuring out how they lived out this life of faith, how they continued to follow Jesus uh, now that Jesus had ascended into heaven. We know that through church history that Christians have gathered many times to do similar councils like that. And so we have the the Nicene Creed that came out of one of those councils. And the Apostles' Creeds, those creeds came when Christians and leaders in the church came together and studied different aspects, particularly about who Jesus was and how he 
um, could be understood, and then they made decisions together as they studied and thought these things through together. Uh, Jesus also told us that we must love the Lord our God with all our heart, all our soul, and all our mind. You'll find that, of course, in Matthew chapter 22, verse 37. But in there, we see that Jesus expects us to use every part of our being, including our minds, to continue to study and think and learn about Jesus, become better followers of him. But the main, the main text for our study will be today in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. I'm going to read it to you from the old King James Version to start with, just this one verse. It says, study to shew thyself uh, approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of God. Sounds a bit funny to our ear, but I, I wanted that old passage talks about study in there specifically. But let's read it in a little larger context in the New Living Translation. And there we read, it says, work hard so you can, be, so you can present yourself to God and receive his approval. Be a good worker, one who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly explains the word of truth. Avoid worthless, foolish talk that only leads to more godless behavior. This kind of talk spreads like cancer, as in the case of Hymenaeus and Philetus. They have left the path of truth, claiming that the resurrection of the dead has already occurred. In this way... They have turned some people away from the faith. In one of the first examples of Christians getting things wrong and going off track, maybe we might even call it kind of fake news, I guess. In those days, they came up with this idea that the resurrection had already occurred and they led some people away. And Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says clearly here, he says, work hard. Think these things through. Study these things. Be careful how you study these things so that you don't get led off on a wrong path. And don't get influenced by these people and their foolish talk. And he's, he's proclaiming to Timothy, be careful. Keep on studying. Keep on learning all the days of your life. Um, as I said, the King James Version uses the word study. The New Living Translation says work hard. The New International Version says, do your best. But what they all kind of have in common is that this, this life of learning more and growing more is never done. We keep on studying. We keep on working. We keep on seeking the truth and doing our best. Now, Paul is particularly saying this to Timothy. And Timothy at that time would not have had a lot of things to study. He would have very limited books to study back in first century uh, Judea. He would have very few parchments or letters to read and study. And, but Paul is telling him he needs to study and be sure that he's thinking these things through. He had the, the godly teaching of his grandmother and his mother. And he had that oral history that had been handed down to him. But he had very few books and things. But perhaps today, with the plethora, plethora of things that we have to study in our world, 
we should even be more careful about what, how we study and how we discern. The number of books that have been written in the last 2,000 years is amazing to think about. And then the number of websites we can go to for information and, and videos we can go to for information. We need to be discerning of all of this stuff that is out there and available to us. And so Paul's words to Timothy ring true for us today. We need to study. We need to study carefully. We need to work hard to make sure that we're not being led astray down a bad path. So we've said that study has always been a mark of Christians. Uh, We've shown the need for study in our world today. But we might ask, how do we do this? How do we study? How do we study together? Well, one of the things, and we've been drawing from Richard Foster's celebration of discipline in this whole sermon series, and we'll continue to do that. But Foster in that book says, study demands humility. It cannot happen until we are willing to be subject to the subject matter. We must submit to the system. We must become as student, not teacher. Arrogance and a teachable spirit are mutually exclusive. So we we said before that uh, study kind of requires an open mind. We have to be willing to learn and grow and, and be aware that we might not have everything right in our heads. The Pharisees who met Jesus uh, in his ministry on earth, many of those Pharisees, they thought they had it all together, right? They thought they had topped out all of their knowledge in the, the Torah school and that all they needed now to do was argue with each other about a few points of uh, Jewish law. And they really didn't want to learn from Jesus. Jesus modeled for them the kingdom of God. He taught them about the kingdom of God. And they really didn't want to listen to him because they felt they had it all understood. And they were not humble in their approach to the gospel. Study means that we are capable of being taught. Now, the irony of the Pharisees is, I mean, the Pharisees get a bad rap all through the New Testament, of course. These were religious people who were desiring to follow God, of course. And interestingly, they were probably better suited to learn from Jesus than their fellow Sadducees. Now, the Pharisees were, a, they were mostly kind of legal scholars, whereas the Sadducees had a priestly heritage. And so they were more of the temple workers and that sort of thing. They both had similar educations and both would study hard. But, and I learned this, this week, one of the key differences between the Pharisees and the Sadducees was that the Pharisees recognized that We need to understand God's word in the context of the world in which we live. And there's a a good article in uh, Encyclopedia Britannica which explains this better. It says, and I've got this quote here for you. The basic difference that led to the split between the Pharisees and the Sadducees lay in their respective attitudes towards the Torah. In their response to this problem, the Sadducees, on the one hand, refused to accept any precept 
as binding unless it was based directly in the Torah. They had to have just a word uh, from the Torah that told them, do this. That is the written law. The Pharisees, on the other hand, believed that the law that God gave to Moses was twofold, consisting of the written law and the oral law. That is the teachings of the prophets and the oral traditions of the Jewish people. Whereas the priestly Sadducees taught that the written Torah was the only source of revelation, the Pharisees admitted the principle of evolution in the law. Humans must use their reason in interpreting the Torah and applying it to their contemporary problems. I found that very fascinating that they recognized that they needed to not only look just specifically at the law, but then look around the world and figure out how to apply that law in their particular context. And they were kind of much more, they should have been much more ready to accept what Jesus was teaching. And we do see that several Pharisees did come to follow Jesus. I mean, Paul himself had been a Pharisee and uh, we... Nicodemus, I believe, was a Pharisee and that sort of thing. So some of them did turn to follow Jesus. But there were many of them that really stumbled over this and did not um, find... We read this in Mark chapter 2. I'm messing up your order of things here, Phil, but thanks for following me. In Mark chapter 2, it says, Later, Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. There were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. But when the teachers of religious law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, Why does he eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he told them, Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I've come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. This idea that the Pharisees just didn't really want to learn from Jesus, but he was teaching them all the while. But of course, the Pharisees and the Sadducees were not the only ones who struggled to understand who Jesus was. And it took much study for even the disciples to understand who Jesus was. You'll remember on the road to Emmaus that after Jesus had been crucified, after he had resurrected, he's walking along, Jesus is walking along the road, and two of his followers are walking along the road, and he joins them. And he starts talking with them, and, and they're down in the mouth, and they're just not really feeling very good about life. And, and Jesus says, well, why are you so down, disheartened? Don't you know that this is what was supposed to happen? And in Luke chapter 24, verse 27, we read there that it says, Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. He had to explain to them all the things in the Old Testament that had pointed to him. Later in that same chapter of Luke, he appears to more of the disciples. And there again, it says that he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. The Bible calls us to that kind of study. That we look at the Old Testament and the New Testament and we look for Jesus in it. Around here, uh, we sometimes like to say that uh, 
that God looks like Jesus and that we understand the scriptures by looking through the lens of Jesus. It's kind of an Anabaptist thing, but it should be a kind of a everything. It, we see who God is through the person of Jesus, and then we look at the rest of the Bible to understand who God is by who Jesus was. And so we look, uh, most importantly, the, f- the first thing we study is our Bibles. And we look for Jesus and we say, um, God always looks like Jesus and all scripture is properly read through him. We look at Jesus' love for people, his invitation to all people. We look at his radical teachings. We look at his, thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. And we, we start there with Jesus and then we seek to understand all of the Bible. And so the first place that we start in our studies, of course, is with studying the Bible. But that's not the only place we study, is it? We can also study and learn from many other books. Uh, We learn from the great Christian literature that has gone before us. You might read... um, Here's just a few examples of things we might read. The Confessions of Augustine. The Practice of the Presence of God by Brother Lawrence. We might read Dante or C.S. Lewis or one of my favorites is The Divine Conspiracy by Dallas Willard. Those books will all lead us into a better uh, knowledge of Jesus. And so study is part of what we do in our Christian faith. But even beyond that, we don't just study Christian literature, right? There is a movement among some evangelicals to say, well, we just, we just read the Bible, and that's all we read. But I think that's, that's wrong thinking. We read the Bible, we read those who write about the Bible, but we also understand and learn from economics. We learn from science and sociology and psychology, I guess I have to kind of believe this. I'm a guy who's trained in science and in faith. But I think there's so much we learn as we look at our world and understand our world that God has created. In fact, many of the first scientists who, um, who began to learn and teach science were really just Christians. And many times they were monks who wanted to understand God's creation better, especially in the Western world. They were followers of Jesus who desired desired to learn more about how God had created his creation. So, as we study, we study the Bible, first and foremost. We we look at other Christian literature, but we also study science and, and sociology and economics and everything else so that we better understand our world together. And then, um, as Richard Foster points out in his book, we also study nonverbal books, he calls them. He says that we look at things like um, nature, and we say we can learn something about God by looking at a tree and understanding how a tree works. And we can learn things about God by studying the world around us. He also tells us that we can study books by, um, 
by reading them, but also then by reading them with others and spending time in discussion with each other. Uh, Sometimes there are controversial issues that we want to understand better. It's always good to understand both sides or all sides of a controversy. If we can read and understand and then take it to Jesus and say, what am I supposed to learn from this, Jesus? Here's both sides of this controversy. How do we learn together and how do we discuss this together? It's good to talk with people who have different opinions than we have. This is all part of how we study and learn and grow in our faith. If, uh, I mentioned a minute ago that it's helpful to study nature. If you want a good book that, helps, that might help you to direct that way, read Annie Dillard's Pilgrim at Tinker Creek. It's a great little book that, where she reverently looks at nature and then says, what do we learn from this and how do we grow in our faith from it? Paul, the apostle here, was certainly one of the most learned people of his time. Yet he, being a Pharisee, did not stop at Torah school. He continued to learn and grow throughout his life. He continued to teach throughout his life. He continued to teach Timothy, and he taught Timothy to study and study hard and learn more and more about life. In 2 Corinthians, Paul, under the holy guidance of the Holy Spirit, in 2 Corinthians uh, verse, chapter 10, verses 1 through 5, he says, By the humility and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you, I, Paul, who am timid when face to face with you, but bold toward you when away. I beg that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be toward some people who think that we live by the standards of this world. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. I love that little phrase there. We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. He's saying that we look around the world and we see many ideas and many thoughts and we take those those thoughts and take them captive to Christ and ask him what we should learn from him. I, I teach a a course at a little Bible college where we're looking at technology and science and faith and how they can work together. And I teach the students there to look at contemporary technology and things of that nature and give it this kind of take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. These da- Here's an example I might give to the, the class These days, there's a lot of talk about artificial intelligence in our world and AI. You might have seen some of this in the news. You probably can't avoid it in the news. But the question is, how do we understand artificial intelligence and that sort of thing in our world? Well, we might want to look at it and go, what's good about this technology? What might be problematic about this technology? And how might we use it for God's kingdom? That's what I teach them to do, and I feel like it's taking every, cap- every thought captive 
and making it obedient to Christ. We're analyzing our world around us and saying, yeah, there's a lot of things we don't understand. But how, what's good, what's bad, what might we learn, and how might we grow and use this for the kingdom? One more passage of scripture I want to read to you as we wrap things up here. A, a passage of scripture in Isaiah, chapter 55, where we read about God and how God calls us to seek after him and study and learn and follow him. Isaiah 55, verses 6 through 12 says, Seek the Lord while you can find him. Call on him now while he is near. Let the wicked change their ways and banish the very thought of doing wrong. Let them turn to the Lord that he may have mercy on them. Yes, turn to our God, for he will forgive generously. My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. And my ways are beyond, far beyond anything you can imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. The rain and snow come down from the heavens and stay on the ground to water the earth. They cause the grain to grow, producing seed for the farmer and bread for the hungry. It is the same with my word. I send it out, and it always produces fruit. It will accomplish all I want it to do. And it will prosper everything I send it. You will live in joy and peace. The mountains and hills will burst into song. And the trees of the field will clap their hands. See, God is saying there, my thoughts are way above your thoughts. My ways are way above your ways. You will never fathom all that you can about me. And yet he's calling us to seek him. He calls us to all of our lives seek to know more about him and to seek to know, understand his ways and his thoughts. He says that his word goes out into the world and it will produce fruit. And he calls upon us to proclaim his word into the world. God is there at the end of time. He is already, he's already there at the end of time. He's been there since the beginning of time. He's here with us right now. He knows all the answers about AI. He knows all the answers about our understanding of the word. He knows way more than we will ever understand about humanity. And he calls us to keep on studying and learning with him. I love this quote from... Augustine, and I will close with this one here. Augustine once said, It is all right to plunder the Egyptians, for all truth is God's truth. In other words, wherever we find God, we will find truth. And wherever we find truth, we will find God. That we don't need to fear that truth will take us away from God for any truth is God's truth, and he already knows it. Let's pray together. God, thank you for this time together, this reminder of spiritual practices. Thank you for reminding us that we study to know you better. Thank you that we can seek you all the days of our lives. We're never finished learning more about you. So guide us and help us to be those kind of followers of Jesus.
It's in his name that we pray. Amen.